about some of the the rains that have come in people's homes on the hillside to just slid away. And even though we can't help everybody or even most of them, we can definitely help the pastors. I've, I've always said that the preachers that we support overseas, they, uh, I, I think they can preach a whole lot better if they're not having to believe God for food. And so if we make sure they have some of those things, then that's a, that's a really wonderful wonderful thing. Uh, also, with all this stuff going on in, in our nation, I had texted some people and was talking to some folks yesterday about all of this, and there's a neat little story with Jacob and his sons. And Jacob had a daughter named Dina, and there was a, a Hivite prince that assaulted her physically sexually. And her brothers were very angry about that. And so they got together with that prince because he was wanting to marry her. And they told that prince, well, if you want to marry her, then all of your, your men in your village are going to need to be circumcised. They complied, but Jacob's sons were being deceitful. So on the third day after the circumcision, when all of the men were laying around in pain and trying to recover, Simeon and Levi went into the city and murdered all the men. And so when Jacob found out, he was angry with them because they not only murdered all the men, but then all the other brothers came and looted the city, just plundered the whole thing. And Jacob told them that you've made our name to stink in this area, he didn't excuse them. He didn't justify their behavior. He told them what they did was wrong and went from there. So I, I said all that to say that with all this chaos and rioting and stuff going on, there's just no way on planet Earth to excuse this kind of behavior or even try to justify it. Just say what it is. It's wrong and it ought not be going on. One bad deed doesn't justify other bad deeds. And despite what happened to uh, Jacob's daughter, that still wasn't any reason to go out there, kill everybody else, and plunder the city. So as a, as a Christian, then, we cannot be dominated by our emotions, but we have to be dominated by the mind of Christ. Amen. The mind of Christ. Otherwise, we'll be just like everybody else who are angry about this on Monday, angry about this on Tuesday, and all week long, there's something to be mad about. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's open our Bibles this evening and go to 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel chapter 28, and we want to teach about getting answers from God. I suppose all of us at times have wondered, how can I hear from God what do I need to do to hear from God? How does God speak to us? And I think I can show you from Scripture some things to do and some things to avoid. And in 1 Samuel 28, we're going to look at someone by the name of Saul in the beginning. I just thought about this. I forgot, John, to turn that up. Would you put that on about 70 Five, so it wouldn't get to or seventy-four. There we go. So it won't be too too hot in here. Okay, First Samuel twenty-eight, and let's look at verse five through seven. 
5 through 7. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. And here's the verse here, right here. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman who is a medium, or a woman with a familiar spirit, that I can go to her and inquire of her. Now you can see in verse 3 that Saul had gotten rid of all the wizards and warlocks while Samuel was alive. But now Samuel is dead. He doesn't have anybody to talk to to uh, give him advice, and he certainly doesn't have anybody to communicate to him the word of the Lord. So that's why verse 6 makes it very plain that he inquired of God and God didn't respond. So let's have a word of prayer as we get into this. Father, it is a blessing to be able to look into the scriptures. and We are so happy that you have provided for us all the resources we need to be overcomers and to walk in victory. You have not planned any defeats for us, but you have called us to overcome every obstacle and challenge that the devil may place before us. So tonight as we look into these scriptures, clarify what may be complex or what may have been misunderstood in the past. In Jesus' name, Amen, amen, amen. It's obvious from verse 6 that God reserves the right to speak or not to speak. With regard to Saul, Saul's lifestyle is what muzzled God with respect to this particular time in his life. Now we may need to recap just a little bit of Saul's life. This man was supernaturally chosen to be king. One of the most amazing stories of how anybody ever became king, you have it where his, uh, his father's donkeys were lost, and he went out looking for them. And then he ends up in the presence of Samuel. Samuel anoints him with oil, and then he begins to prophesy when he gets among the prophets, and the blessing of God was upon him. But just as soon as he became king, he then started disobeying God. He thought that in his disobedience, God would still be pleased with him. But it didn't work out that way at all. God sent Samuel to anoint David, but Saul still had several decades on the throne. And that's a terrible spot to be in, to be on the throne without God's presence. And scripture even goes so far to say that an evil spirit came and tormented him. This man was troubled and tormented by that evil spirit. But he's gotten rid of all the witches and the warlocks and the people practicing black magic. But according to verse 7 here, there's still somebody in the village who was involved with that. And it's, it's amazing to me that his servants knew where to find her. So I guess she still had some clients that were coming and paying a little bit of money. But verse 6 gives us three specific ways by which we know God was talking to people up to this time. Dreams. The Urim, which the priests wore, and then the prophets. And we want to look at three specific illustrations of this. Now, just before Samuel, you have Ruth and Judges. I want you to go to Judges chapter 7. Quickly, I want you to see how God spoke through a dream for Gideon. Gideon wanted to overcome the Midianites. And 
the Lord in chapter 7 of Judges, the Lord had took an army of thousands of people and pretty much just wheedled it down to 300. And that's all he had from 30,000 or so to 300 warriors. And that's how he has to go to battle. So in Judges 7 verse 9, it came to pass that night, the Lord said, get down to the host for I've delivered it into your hand. Now he hears that. God says, I've delivered these folks to you. So sure enough, he goes down there in verse verse 13. He overhears a man telling of a dream that he had. And the dream says that some barley, a cake of barley rolled into the tent, knocked one of the tents down. And when Gideon heard that, then he took that to under, he took that to mean that the children of Israel were going to destroy these people because that's what they understood it to mean. Now you can see in verse 13 there it says, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And the cake of barley tumbled, it came into the tent and smote it, and it fell. And verse 14, and the fellow Andrew said, This is nothing but the sword of Gideon. See, so he believed the dream meant they were going to lose the battle. Gideon overhears this. And then he gets ready and he goes to fight. I think this is important because it shows you two things. Number one, God can talk to you in a dream and it doesn't necessarily have to be directly with you. He spoke in a dream to these people that didn't even have a covenant with him. You do understand God can talk to people that don't know him. Remember when Jesus was being tried and whose wife was it? that had the dream and said, I was terribly disturbed. Was that Pilate's wife? Said, I was terribly disturbed this night. I've suffered many things in a dream because of him. So God can communicate to a sinner. Don't be surprised at that. So again, Saul sought God, but God didn't answer him through dreams, and he didn't answer him through the Urim and the Thummim. Now what is that? Let's go to Numbers chapter 27. Numbers is your fourth book there in the Old Testament, Numbers 27, and we'll show you how this Urim and Thummim works. The high priest, according to Exodus 28, had to put these stones inside of a breastplate when he went into the presence of God. And each stone represented the tribe, but he also had some placements for two other stones, Urim and Thummim. The word means light, and the other word means perfection. Well, in Numbers chapter 27, God is telling Moses in verse 15 to take Joshua, stand him in front of the people, verse 18, and place some of his honor upon him. See? See? Lay your hands on him. Set him before Eliezer the priest in verse 19, before all the congregation, and give him a charge in verse 20. Put some of your honor upon him. What does that mean? The fact that you're putting him in front of the people, laying your hands upon him, letting people know that you find him trustworthy, the people also are going to find him trustworthy, and they will follow him. So that is how some of the honor is shared. So ministers do that. Mom and dad, you do that with your kids because when they come of responsible age, then very often you stand the oldest one up or the most responsible one up and you say, 
Here is the one who's going to be in charge while we are gone. And when you say that, that is the distribution of power and honor and glory. And of course, if they don't do right, then sometimes the oldest person isn't left in charge. I've seen that happen too. I had a guy one time who was a senior to me in the Marine Corps. I was a sergeant. He was a sergeant, but he made rank a year and a half before I did. But he was one of these guys who every Friday night when we were living in Turkey, he went out, spent all of his paycheck on Turkish women, and he went from one bar to the next, always in trouble, lived paycheck to paycheck. And one time our master sergeant had to take a trip to Europe for something, and he, he was going to be gone for four days. And so he called all of us in there, and uh, he said, Sergeant Sutton is going to be in charge while I'm away. And instantly, the other gentleman, who was a sergeant also, he got angry and upset, and the master sergeant explained to him exactly why he would not be in charge. Our lifestyle, our behavior, our conduct. So when he said that, Oh, he shared some of the glory with me. See, it was like I was the master sergeant now when he, when he went on his trip. So Numbers 27 verse 20 said, Put some of your honor on him, and the congregation of Israel will be obedient. In verse 21, He shall stand before Eliezer the priest who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim before the Lord. At his word shall they go out. At his word shall they come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. So you can see the relationship here. Moses is doing something with uh, Joshua who's laboring with him. And this is a matter of succession. Moses is getting them ready. But we, we all have to be willing to, to share in what we're doing. I mean, as much as I've traveled in the past, it'd be impossible to travel like I did without having John to be able to share and minister. And I always tell the people at Revival Tabernacle before John gets there, I said, now look, he's coming. And I said, while he's here, I said, don't anybody throw any eggs at him. I said, I don't want to hear any stories of anybody throwing anything at him while he's up here teaching and, and, and sharing the word. And it, it got to, to one, one place where sometimes people were just coming up to me asking me, well, Pastor, when are you going on another trip? We want to see John again. We want to see John again, you know. They just absolutely, absolutely love him. Okay, so verse 21 then. Notice he'll stand before the priest and he'll ask counsel. So here's a secondary way that people tried to find the will of God. The Urim and the Thummim operated in this way according to jewish tradition and certainly from what the hebrew word words mean that that priest when he wanted to find god's mind he'd go into the presence of the lord in the temple or the tabernacle and those stones that he had either on that breastplate or holding them in his hands those stones would then light up or begin to glow and depending on what the question was if, it were, if there was a radiance or brilliance or some kind of a glow, that was an answer in the affirmative. If there was no response or movement at all, that simply meant don't do it, don't go. So we've always said to people, no glow, no go. On the inside, we don't have any kind of stones like that, but we do need to know that David sought the mind of God from the priest. 
Other people went to God because they wanted the mind of God from the priest. This is exactly what Saul did in 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 6. And the scripture says God didn't speak by the Urim. Now, these aren't the only ways God spoke. He spoke through the casting of lots sometime. Remember, that's how they chose one of the apostles. And several times in the Old Testament, they used the casting of lots to determine who was the guilty party or what tribe was involved with this. Let's not forget that Gideon also used the fleece one time. He said, well, God, if you don't want me to do this, let the fleece be wet tomorrow morning. And then it was wet. And then he came back and he said, Lord, if you don't want me to do that, then let it be dry and dew and all the other places. And then that's exactly how it was. So God had numerous ways to communicate his mind to his people. Now, let me give you another one. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 3 and see what happened with Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom and the king of Israel. When in 2 Kings chapter 3, when Jehoram, the son of Ahab and Jezebel, began to reign, the Moabites rebelled against him. It just, just seems to me it's just not right for there to be a world where people like Ahab and Jezebel have children, you know. But, but sure enough, they, they had one right here in 2 Kings 3, verse, verse number 1. And he began to reign when Jehoshaphat was on the throne. Now, Jehoshaphat was righteous. He was a good king. He did what was holy and acceptable in the eyes of God. But according to verse 4, the king of Moab was a sheep breeder, and he gave the king of Israel a hundred thousand lambs and a hundred thousand rams with wool. That's a lot of livestock, folks. You understand that? I mean, you can keep pretty warm with all of that. And quite naturally, he was distributing that amongst his own people. Well, the king decided, I'm not going to do it anymore, and I'm not paying you anything anymore. So the king of Israel contacted Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and they went and passed through the region in verse 8, the wilderness of Edom, and they allied themselves with the king of Edom. So now we've got three, the king of Israel, the king of Judah, the king of Edom, and somebody came up with the bright idea. They said, look, before we go out here and fight all of these people, don't you think maybe we ought to inquire of the Lord and get a word from him? And they said, is there a prophet around here? And they said, well, yeah, Elisha, the prophet. Look at verse 11. Jehoshaphat said, is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, here is Elijah, the son of Shaphat, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. So Elisha succeeded Elijah. Elisha had the anointing of God on his life, had the grace of God at work in his life, just like Elijah did. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. And so they went down and had a conversation with him. And Elisha made it very plain in verse 14 to the king of Israel, I don't even like you. And if it wasn't for the fact that Jehoshaphat was here, I wouldn't even look in your direction. That's how wicked this man was. But Elisha told them to bring a musician. The man came and started playing music, and the hand of the Lord came upon him. 
So, so you can see something powerful here. Uh, music, I believe, and I certainly think this verse teaches, music, music can bring the presence of God, but it can also drive it away. Yeah. I, I think good gospel music, good praise and worship, I think can, can really bring the presence of God into your home, into your vehicle, into your life. But there are kinds of music that will destroy the presence of God in your life. We need to know that. Now, Christians in the past used to know that. Full gospel people certainly used to know that in the past. But what we have today is a, is a world that, that wants to have God and at the same time have the world and at the same time have the presence of God. And I'm not quite sure that we have the presence of God the way God wants to be manifested. So good music can do that. David played before King Saul, and the scripture says when he played, that evil spirit just moved on out. But, but there is uh, music that can bring the presence of the adversary. I'm thinking of a, a story right now where my uh, pastor uh, told where he saw, I think, a documentary on television in some rock and roll band. I can't remember which one it was. But, but they uh, were, were one of these bands that would bring in these different witches and stuff like that. And so it was shown on the documentary how uh, these people were becoming wealthy and how they had such influence over the crowds at their concert. And one of the band members was saying that, that before they have their concerts, they have these people come in with all this black magic stuff, and they just go and sprinkle stuff on the seats there in the auditorium where the audience is going to be at. And then the man said, well, when they get up and they start playing... He said, there's a place in that, in that concert where they're playing all of that music. And he said, it just seems like something comes over them and, and they really enter into what they think is the spirit. And he was talking about some of the foulest things that they have done on stage with that and how the crowd just seems to be mesmerized. And they were even interviewing some people afterwards after the concert Asking them, why, were you, why did you come back here to the table to buy all of these CDs? And they said, I don't know why I came back here. Something came over me while I was in the concert, and I just felt like I need to come buy all of these. I see, folks, these, these people don't even understand spiritual things, and they certainly have no clue that the adversary can get involved with wickedness and sin, just like the Spirit of God can come into a sanctuary and minister to people when God is being worshipped. Music is powerful, very powerful. And sometimes the music that is played is going to help facilitate people being receptive to hearing the word of God. I have no doubt about that at all. You put on the right music and you have somebody minister a word of God that brings conviction and the spirit of God is at work and you'll see people give their hearts to the Lord and their lives will be changed. Sin will disappear. But you find somebody that's not going to minister God's word, but read something out of Reader's Digest and then play some little song that doesn't have anything at all to do with God. And I can promise you there won't be any effective change at all. It just, it won't happen. 
So to edify yourself, Paul says, speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You, you do know that uh, every song isn't necessarily sinful, but it doesn't necessarily edify. When I was a kid, I'd turn on the television, and then I'd look, and then I'd, I'd see old Mr. Denver there. Sunshine on my shoulders makes me happy. Nothing sinful about that, you know, but, but it doesn't do anything for me as a, as a Christian. You know, if somebody, if somebody was uh, playing a guitar, and then they looked over and they said, hey, good looking, what you got cooking? How about cooking up something for me? Okay, well, I'm, I, I guess if you're talking about food, there's nothing sinful about that. But it doesn't have anything to do with edifying me as a Christian. My body is a temple, so I'm interested in those things that are going to glorify and magnify the king that dwells in here. So I'm looking for the kinds of songs and worship that not only change me, but change the environment. So I'd go into the E-Club as a military. I don't know why I'm on them. This ain't part of the Bible study. <laughs> I'd go into the, the enlisted men's club on base, and I'd go get me something to eat in the middle of the night when the chow hall was closed, and, and I'd be sitting there waiting, and I'd just watch, and, and this would have been the 90s, early 90s then, and so the, the, the Marines... They're imitating all the civilian dance things like that, and, and all this body slamming was going on then. So, I mean, they're, they're playing uh, Nirvana and all this other stuff, and people are jumping up and banging their chests off one another and slamming themselves off one another. And, and, and I just lean up against that bar waiting on my food, just wondering why anybody would even act like that without getting paid to do that, you know. <laughs> but, but, they, but they did. They did, but that same, that same kind of raucous and rebellious-like type of spirit was totally different than what I experienced on Sunday when we worship God. See, the presence of the Lord comes in, and it just changes things. Yeah, it's true. Okay, let's move on then. Let's go over to, let's go over to the New Testament now, and I, I want to show you in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Chapter number two, how we can get answers from God. Now, we just spoke about the dreams and the Urim and the Thummim and the prophets. God certainly spoke in dreams in the New Testament. You can start with the birth of Jesus and you'll just find them everywhere. God spoke to Joseph in a dream, telling him about Jesus' birth. Spoke to Joseph in a dream, saying, go to Egypt. Spoke to him in a dream again, said, come out of Egypt. And you see this over and over again. And, and you can see in the book of Acts where God used Agabus as a prophet to communicate his mind regarding a famine that was going to come, about bondage that was going to come to uh, Mr., Mr. Paul. But uh, no longer is anybody using any Urim and Thummim. Romans 8.14 says those that are led by the Spirit, 
They are the sons of God. Once you became a Christian, God entered into your life and he took up residence in your heart. By taking up residence in your heart now, Romans 8 says, the spirit of God bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. That means you have assurance inside of you because of God's habitation in you. And when you don't feel good about this or feel good about that, or there's something in you that's agitating, like an agitator in a washing machine, something just turning and something doesn't feel right. You got to be sensitive enough to God to know that God's trying to speak to you. Sometimes when the Lord is telling you to do something, we're still cautious. But, but I, I'd rather be a bit behind God and him nudging me and pushing me along than to run out there a mile and a half ahead of him and then try to figure out where he is and now I have to start trying to believe that he's going to help me put this thing together. But when God is working inside of you, he may not speak to you in a dream. He may not speak to you through a prophet. You may not even get something through a sermon. But down on the inside, John says, we all have an unction, the Spirit. And the Spirit teaches us. So somewhere down in there, God is able to communicate his word to you without ever saying anything. But you just know, down on the inside, this is right, this is wrong. If I'm listening to somebody teach and I'm trying to determine whether or not it's false doctrine, I don't always have the time sitting in that service to fly through 66 books of the Bible to determine whether or not it's right. But I can listen to what someone is saying, and down in here, that does not sound right. On the basis of my knowledge of God, that does not sound right. Something, something, something wrong about that. So in 2 Timothy then... In chapter 2, here's what the scripture says in verse number 15. This is a word for you, this is a word for me, and this is how God is primarily going to speak to you. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. You have to study God's Bible. You have to read the word. Now, I gave you the three illustrations from 1 Samuel 28 and 6 about Gideon, about the guidance, the leadership of God, the prophets and the Urim and Thummim. Have you ever have you ever considered that when all of those things were going on, every one of them had inscribed scriptures? They all had Moses five books, every single one of them. And not one of them said, okay, because we have God's written word right here, it is impossible for God to say anything else to us. And if he does say anything else to us, it needs to be added to the scripture. They didn't say that. They just lived their life. They just trusted the word of God and they believed that God was communicating with them. So it's the same with us. We, we live in a, in, a, in a period of time where it is... It is, it is your responsibility to study this book, just like it's mine. When you stand before God, I, I don't know that my name is even going to come up in a conversation with you before the throne. 
But I do know the scripture is going to make it, the scripture makes it very plain that your name has to be in the Lamb's book of life and you have to give an account for the things done in your body, according to 2 Corinthians. Yeah. So it says here, study. Now there are people who say things like this. I, I don't like to read. Well, you better start liking to read. If you're going to be a Christian, you better start liking to read. So when you say you don't like to read, what you're saying is, I don't like to grow. That's what you're saying. And if you have the kind of reading habits where you don't enjoy the Bible, then you need to ask God to transform your mind and change some of your inclinations so that you'll find as much excitement out of this book as you find reading something else. Now, I've got a big library. I've got thousands of books in that house of mine, but nothing thrills me like reading this. I read a lot of different books, but this is the book that determines my conduct and my behavior. And when I have questions and I need an answer from God, I need to go directly to the scriptures and see, God, what did you do for Joseph? How did he act during this time? I, I can't be just laying around waiting on a dream when I go to sleep. And if, if you've got to have a prophet to tell you what to do and where to go, you're going to have to carry him in your pocket to tell you what to do when you get there. But if you have a Bible and you have God's word, there's no place on this planet you can go that God won't talk to you. Let's not forget Revelation chapter two and three, where it says, and the spirit, uh, let him that has an ear hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. So it's not like after Paul started writing epistles and Peter was writing epistles that God stopped talking. He was still speaking to believers in those churches. All I'm trying to get you to see is it is your responsibility to read what has been passed down to us. And if you read what has been passed down to us, then when you hear somebody say something that is out of left field, totally heretical, then you have something, a standard by which to judge it. So if somebody came to you and said, I had a dream last night that we've already missed the coming of the Lord. I wouldn't accept that. I'd just say you need to go back to sleep and try that all over again. <laughs> you need to do that again. You need to do over quickly. If, if someone were to come along and, and say to me, well, in, in a dream, I came to believe that, that God is using this minister in the last days as the final revelation of God before the return of the Lord. Then I say, absolutely not. That, that's not scriptural. And see, that's how the Muslims got in trouble. And that's how the Mormons got in trouble. You can't accept something just because it has some kind of a supernatural origin. Most of the faiths on planet Earth have some kind of a divine origin that they claim. But we come back to the book. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Why would somebody be ashamed of the Bible? Because they don't know it. They don't know it. Yeah. Now, from where I am in, in uh, teaching in different places... I've watched people grow through the years. And whether it's here or the other churches, I can remember when some people first started coming to Bible study and I'd say, okay, open your Bibles to First Chronicles. And for the next 45 seconds to two minutes, 
pages would be turning, trying to figure out where, where that is. And of course, after a while sometimes, people start feeling embarrassed because they can't get to it quick enough. Look, the easiest thing to do, folks, if you don't know where a book is, just open your Bible, go to the front to the table of contents. I typically say it's an Old Testament, New Testament. If you find this book, it's going to be right next to it. And if you just go through that, you can spare yourself the sense of embarrassment that you force upon yourself. Not that anybody in here is doing that. See? Because if, if, you've been, if you've been raised in a, in a, in a, good, a good fellowship, you're going you're gonna to understand this. And of course, for, for those of you that, you know, reading, you know, 2 Timothy 2.15, where it says, study to show yourself approved, you, you've got it in a good Bible. See, in a good Bible, this is here. In a good Bible, it's going to say this. Go to the next chapter, chapter 3. Chapter 3. So here we are again, 2 Timothy 3. Look at verse 14. Continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing of whom you've learned them, that from a child you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. According to Paul, these scriptures are holy. So we treat them differently. This is not like reading Sports Illustrated. This is not like you picking up some farm magazine. This is holy. That means these scriptures are set apart. They're different than any other kind of literature on planet Earth. And the people who read them will also be different than anybody else on planet Earth because they're conforming their life to them. And then the scripture says they will make you wise. I'm trying to tell you how to get answers from God. If you want wisdom about what to do, if you want wisdom about how to overcome a particular situation, search the scriptures. Get a concordance. Sometimes in the back of your Bible you'll have a mini concordance. Look for a word. If, there, if there's a verse that you heard somebody minister on at some point in time, but you can't remember how the verse went. If you can remember a word, you can go through the concordance and look, and then you very well might be able to find that particular verse. And when you find it, then God will use that verse as a foundational precept to help you to continue in your Christian life. This is how we grow. And if we do this, we won't be so susceptible to the deception that so many people uh, get involved with. I've been to churches where somebody gets up and teaches for 30, 45, 50 minutes, and then afterwards they'll say, okay, now they're going to minister the word of the Lord to you. Well, what have they been doing? See? So I know what they meant, that what they mean now is they want somebody to prophesy to them. But if, if, if God is giving you his word right here from the scriptures and you can use your eyes and ears and see what's here, stand on God's word. We well, say, well, pastor, I want an oral word. And as Hilton Sutton said one time, read it out loud. <laughs> read it aloud. If you, you want God to speak to you. You know, orally, read it aloud. This is clear. So it'll make you wise unto salvation. It'll show you how you can be rescued by believing, how you can be redeemed out of trouble by trusting God. And it tells you that that faith has to be securely in Christ Jesus. And then he tells you why. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that a man of God may be perfect, 
thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So this book contains everything you need to get an answer from God. Everything you need. If you never have a dream like some people have had, doesn't matter. You got everything you need here in the book. If you never have the opportunity to be where somebody gives a tongue and interpretation, your life isn't diminished because of it. You still have the Bible. But if you are in a place where the power of God falls and the blessing of the Lord is in manifestation in that way, you don't have to attack anybody. You can still stand on the word of God and trust God on the foundation. There have been plenty of times Tiff and I have been in services and God moved upon us to, to, to give somebody a word or to lay hands on somebody and pray for them. And something remarkable takes place in the service. I mean, if God's not moving somebody, there's no sense in trying to move God. I've heard a whole lot of people say that. Oh, if the spirit isn't moving, then I move the spirit. Oh, you're in the flesh. That's all it is. You're in the flesh and everybody will know that it's you. And I heard like I heard one preacher say one time, he said, I've got a few things that I feel the Lord wants me to tell you. And then after after I'm done with that, I got a few things more that I want to tell you. And then, of course, people sitting out there could tell the difference when God stopped and he started. See, so the, the presence of God is real. See, the, the, the one of the, the, the I should say the the manifestation that led to me meeting that beautiful girl back there. We were it was a Sunday night service down at Jimmy Swaggart's. I was down on the front row. And <clears throat> God was using me a lot with tongues and interpretation. So on this one evening, I had walked over to where Brother Swagger and all these preachers were sitting. And I asked one of the bodyguards over there, I said, what's the protocol here in this church for tongues and interpretation? You know, you don't want to be out of order, so it's always best to ask rather than just trying to go in doing something. And they said, well, if somebody gives an utterance in tongues... It's likely going to become very quiet in here. The musicians are going to stop playing. Then at that point, somebody can give give the interpretation. Then this is what the gentleman said to me. But you don't have to worry about that. See, he didn't think think I was, you know, I knew anything about this. So I turned and walked away. And no sooner than he turned and walked away, a good friend of ours named Deborah Washington gave an utterance in tongues from the other side of the church. I gave the interpretation that night. Power of God fell in that place. Brother Swagger fell out of his chair. Oops. Went to weeping and crying. Thank you so very much. And, and then all of us just found a place on our faces before God and was just crying out to him in his presence. We sat there at the end of that service probably for two and a half hours. Nobody left, not a baby cried. But God had moved powerfully in that service, you see, powerfully in that service. Now, nobody needed to record that and put it in the Bible. It didn't need to be in the Bible. It had nothing to do with being in the Bible. Scripture says in the book of Acts that Judas and and Silas were prophets to travel with Paul. But we don't have any record of anything they ever said. But they obviously did. 
The scripture tells us that Philip the evangelist had four daughters that prophesied. We don't have a record of anything they said, but they did say something. So everything doesn't have to be recorded, doesn't need to be recorded. Everything you need is right here in the book. Everything I need is right here in the book. And what's in here is inspired of God and is perfect. I've been saying for years I need to do a message on blooper prophecies. Blooper prophecies. You say, Pastor, what is a blooper prophecy? A blooper prophecy is when people get so excited they feel like they have to say something, then after they say it, they wish they hadn't uh, and they wish they could get the words back. Yeah. Yeah, there's been some, there have been some odd services that we've been in. Man, prophesying one time, the middle of the prophecy, his false teeth fell out. Yeah. He just leaned over, picked him up, put him back in his mouth, and went back to prophesying. I would have quit. I would have quit. I would have quit. Yeah. So just, just let God, you know, be God in your life and found your Christian life on the book. Be expected that God's going to speak to you from the book and don't oppose the power of God and the supernatural. Because if you walk with God out of a pure heart, you're going to have moments and experiences with God that are going to be totally different than what other people have. There's no doubt. 28 chapters of the book of Acts that covers about 30 years. If you stretch all of these events out, you can see it doesn't look like it was happening all the time. But this is only a record of a handful of the believers. This isn't a record of every Christian alive in ancient times. It was exciting to serve God. And I think it ought to be exciting for you too. We're living in the last days and God hasn't changed and he's not going to change. I don't care if a whole lot of unbelievers say he doesn't heal today. We're going to say he does and we're still going to lay hands on the sick and pray for him. And if other people say he doesn't save by his blood anymore and you have to be born in the church and have water put on you in order to be a member of the visible church, I'm just going to keep laughing and say it doesn't happen. That way you've got to come through repentance and your sin has got to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Amen. Never going to change, folks. Never going to change. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for an opportunity to look into your word. And we know that we can get the best answers from you right from scripture. And we pray that you continue to keep us sensitive to your leading and to your guidance. Help us to walk with you every day. In the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said, amen, 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 amen.